Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. This is the Bleacher Blums. I am Jeff Blum, 14-year Major League veteran, now current broadcaster for the Houston Astros. On the other end, we have got David Tuttle, has an extensive career playing uh, professional baseball, Team USA, also a college grad. I am not, even though I went to college, <laughs> and I probably should go back and graduate, but I, f- I play one on TV. Uh, but we were, we were going to talk a little bit about, on this podcast, about you know, the dog days of summer and things like that. And all of a sudden I was, I was having a little bit, a couple of beverages last night with coaches slash friends and on the TV pops up an ad for football. And now we just watched Nebraska and Northwestern beat the living crap out of each other, really not pad their defensive stats, but their offensive stats look amazing. But there is a certain sense of hope when you start to recognize that football season is coming. Wouldn't you say Tuttle? Absolutely. But I don't understand why. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, I don't, I still haven't figured out why football is like, but it gives you that, like, gives you the tingly feeling when, like you said, you see an ad. Maybe it's a couple beverages. Maybe it's just a relaxation of it. But, uh, you know, I, now that you and I are, well, you're not out of baseball, but essentially we're, we're on the sidelines of baseball and we enjoy watching baseball. I do feel like the polls I take amongst my friends, uh, whether they're in the game or out of the game, they certainly get the tinglys when football season starts. And and a lot of folks don't love the end of the baseball season, the dog days per se, because they feel like it's time to get on with the show, right? Now that the records have kind of established themselves and we know the playoffs. And I think most sports probably go through that, right? You know, week 15, 16, 17 of the NFL is usually jockeying for playoff position. Not a lot of like last minute, um, you know, who's going to get in, who's not going to get in. So, I, you know, I, I definitely get the... Um, the sense that football is upon us. The the Northwestern Nebraska game. Somebody said take Northwestern in the points. We can get back into the gambling discussion. But Scott <laughs> Frost, Scott Frost is in trouble in the sense that Nebraska, when you and I were growing up, Nebraska Oklahoma were the kind of the championships went through there. I mean, Nebraska was in the Orange Bowl every year. I think they have five national championships. Um, and Scott Frost, since he took a thirteen and zero. What floor? Central Florida. I think he was 13 and 0. He was an assistant at Oregon. He obviously played at Nebraska. Assistant at Oregon, went down to Central Florida, turned them 13 and 0, got hired by Nebraska. He's 15 and 30. Um, with a, and I do, I give Nebraska that the moniker, the tag of maybe a, a, a college. There's a few like this that have a higher uh, expectation than maybe they should. It's one <laughs> of, you know, they were. Yeah, they were great when Tom Osborne was the coach. I'm just saying they have a I, – I wish I could think of the other schools that are like that. There's a bunch of Notre schools Dame. that kind of – Yeah, Notre Dame's like that, but I think UCLA football's like that. Like UCLA is really like a basketball that, yeah. school, but they look at football like, we're going to be great in the Pac-10, and they're five and six every year. And it's like yeah. – so they have these coaching searches, but I think Scott Frost is up against it in terms of recruiting and the type of reputation they have now. But to my point, they were up 28-17 uh, in the third quarter, and they tried an onside kick to, like, you know, thump Northwestern. Like, oh, we're going to do an onside kick, keep the ball, and do this. They didn't recover it, and they end up losing the game 31-28. And I think Scott Frost is probably kicking himself. I know that's a little more in-depth analysis that we are talking about from the dog <laughs> days of summer. But that's how exciting football season is. You don't even care about Northwestern Nebraska and you already know the onside kick kind of ruined the, uh, the first game. But I think to your point, um, it also gives the baseball players, the media, other things to focus on. So I know in the clubhouse, those guys are getting their fantasy drafts going and, uh, you know, they can maybe take a little reprieve from, I don't know, the, the grind that is this time of, uh, the summer for the ballplayers. No, I think that's what it is mostly is just it takes away from the grind of summer and it gives you that kind of like light at the end of the tunnel. Because once you hit September 1st, you know, it's not like it was in the past where you call up nine guys and all of a sudden you're, you know, your locker room's just thrush with a bunch of young, invigorated talent who's chomping at the bit to go out there and play. Uh, September always represents so many different things for baseball teams, players. You know, you've got the Astros. Uh, it, they've got an 11 and a half game lead. They're just waiting for that clinch day to come so they can pop some 
champagne, sit back and sip it a little bit. You get the Seattle Mariners, Baltimore Orioles, you know, some of these other wildcard teams, and all of a sudden they're like, okay, this is that push. We got to make that push. And uh, I've been on teams where <laughs> we've rolled into September and looked at each other and went, hey, man, wherever you are next year, dude, good luck to you, man. It's going to be great. You know, we, we tried our best, but it ain't working out. And then all of a sudden you kind of look at your pocketbook and you look at your numbers and you're like, man, if I could just hit three more bombs, if I could just drive in about That's 10 right. or 12 more runs, and you're going, okay, September is now salary drive month, and you're yeah. trying to play for that next contract. But the idea, the Selfish, the selfish dog yeah. days of summer. Like, hey, I'm betting 272 with 10 bombs. If I get to 275 with like 15, I'll be good. <laughs> this guy, that's who it's about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're just trying. You're trying to, you know, pad those numbers, get that contract for the next year. But I also think at the same time, you know, the call it the collegiate uh, football. You know, allows everybody to claim their regional. Uh, loyalty and start talking a little bit of trash and then you get into the NFL and like you said the the fantasy football drafts come out the you know the the betting and the in the internal betting on other sports in the in the clubhouse starts to come and then you start to talk trash a little bit instead of going oh damn I went over four hey how'd my fantasy football team do you know how can I rag on Tuttle about what his team did and all of a sudden you kind of have a little bit of extra life just because that diversion is there I think but uh, we've got a couple of things that are on tap brought to you by St. Arnold. I know that there was a big move, a big, there is about to be a big move or a big transition in minor league baseball. And I know that we're going to have, we're going to have similar thoughts. We may have differing thoughts, but you know, Tuttle and I grew up in an era where the expectation of minor league baseball was what it was. You just took it on the chin, battled, fought for a dream and hoped to make it. And Tuttle obviously didn't get the opportunity. I fortunately got the opportunity. So there's varying ideas on what to, on what to be able to uh, assert minor league players deserve. And I think that we're to a point where minor leaguers do deserve a little bit more. And they voted to unionize. We'll talk a little bit about that, maybe get into the logistics. And uh, I've got a question at the end of this podcast that I think a lot of people will be fascinated by because I, I posted it on my Instagram. And I have a question for Tuttle when we get this thing going. So what else you got, Tuttle? I need to follow your Instagram because I didn't see the question. No, I'm kidding. I do follow you on Instagram. You can follow Blummer on Instagram as well at Blummer27 on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> Myself at Real David Tuttle on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, get to bleacherblums.com or bleacherblums on YouTube. You can see some short hops on there. It's not always us. There's always some funny videos and uh, some TikTok stuff going on there as well. So um, yeah, make sure you do that. Uh, I have a question for you, Blummer, in What's on Tap brought to you by St. Arnold. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I definitely wanted to get into the uh, Players Association and how that affects minor leaguers, major leaguers, and what some of the experiences we've had coming up. And I do think we might see eye to eye, but I have a couple uh, thoughts on that. And then of course, Thursday is our fantasy football draft. Um, so I want to get into uh, the fact that we're going to have our draft and maybe talk a little fantasy football and you know, some gambling and some football and some football and gambling and fantasy football and, you know, get to see you in person here soon. So that's what I got. That's a good thing. Yeah, we actually do get to see each other. We're going to have our fantasy draft. We're recording this. This is on a Tuesday. We're going to have our fantasy draft on a Thursday. And it's actually coincides with us being on the West Coast in Anaheim. And having the day off will be, I mean, geez, this couldn't have worked out any better. I know we may have our good buddy John Adams join us for a little bit. But, hey, you were a little under the weather last week. How are we feeling this week, dude? Yes, appreciate you bringing that up. I am feeling much better. Like I said last week, I was COVID negative, And I think we recorded on a Tuesday last week also. And by Tuesday night, I was right as rain. So I'm feeling great. Yeah. I mean, as we pointed out... If you're sick and you're really sick and you're COVID negative, you you know you don't know what to do with yourself. You know it's either COVID or you're not sick. Is kind of the the last few years. Is but uh, anyway. But I feel I feel wonderful and I appreciate you asking. How about you? How are you doing? No, things are good. Uh, we actually had a road trip uh, up to uh, South Oklahoma to play the uh, Arlington Rangers, which will be kind of interesting. It's always interesting down the stretch, too, to watch uh, the Astros. They're kind of beat up right now. I know Jordan had a right wrist issue. Now he's got a left hand issue. And if you don't have your hands, it's really hard to hit. So hopefully he can be okay. Uh, Justin Verlander came out of the game after three innings the other day. And 
I mean, the, the panic just followed that dude around because we were like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And we found out that uh, it, during a crazy play on the field with some bad base running that uh, kind of made a move, uh, the calf started to bark on him a little bit. So his right calf is having a little bit of an issue. He's having an MRI on it probably as we speak. And we'll have a word on that later. Um, Jake Myers has been sent out of, of center field, and they're calling up JJ Matajevic. But the interesting thing is, too, and this might have this could probably segue into uh, into uh, September and the minor league baseball stuff is the fact that they expanded rosters on uh, Thursday. It'll be after September first. You can expand rosters, but now the rule is only two guys you can call up. So it's basically one position player, one pitcher. And there's already been reports that it's going to be Yiner Diaz, who is a, a catcher. But what I've heard about Diaz is that he is a legit dude type hitter. And then Hunter Brown, the highly anticipated top prospect out of the Astros organization who throws absolute jet fuel will be on the roster. So we'll get a chance to get our eyes on him. Who doesn't throw jet fuel now? Yeah. And you know what I was thinking, you know, just as Explain you were- that. No, as you were talking, I was just laughing about the NFL. The NFL cut down day is today, I believe. They have to get down to 53 men on the roster. It's either this Tuesday or next Tuesday, but maybe they'll add some guys from the NFL roster that get cut down as rosters expand in Major League oh, Baseball. Yeah. Just, just a thought. You know, those guys, they can just walk across the hall and, you know, come on in. No. Yeah. So the thing about the rosters and Jordan, I wanted to say Jordan, come on, you're an Astros. <laughs> hey, he's not my guy. Dan. He's your Dan. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. He's your Don. <laughs> your Don. Um, I happen to see him in person. I've hung out with you a few times, uh, maybe walk in the mall. We've seen him once or twice, but uh-huh. uh, yeah, you're right. I, he always gave me the impression of LeBron, meaning when LeBron was 18, people used to say, yeah, let's see his birth certificate. I want to, you know, and we know that Jordan's mm-hmm. Cuban. So I'm a little concerned about him more so than JV, in case you wanted my opinion on that, in that- That's why you're here. He's got kind of those, yeah, those those like ticky-tack injuries that are like age, you know, age-related. And you started mm-hmm. doing this when you were in Arizona. It's like, ah, yeah, I just, you know, you don't recover as quickly from that strained <sighs> rib cage, and you don't, you know, recover as quickly from this and that. And he's just kind of been nicked up. I know the public has been like, well, just put him on the IL and not worry about it. JV, I'm not nearly as concerned about, but the thing about JV is I think, this is so funny, he's come back and proven himself this year, but even after the six no-hit innings, um, his start prior. Previous start, yeah. Yeah, but he was like, you could see him kind of joking around in the dugout and stuff. I was like, I guess he's not going back out. That's what you guys kept saying on the broadcast. And it's like, I in the old days, he'd be clamoring to go back out there. There's no way Dusty could have taken him out of the game. And so I think all of this relates to, let's hope, and I know they keep some, this stuff close to the vest, especially when it's coming playoff time. Let's hope mm-hmm. Jordan's like ticky-tack injury and JV's injuries are just kind of like, you know, they're kind of like one of those end of the year. It's kind of like the uh, the veterans in the NFL that don't play in the preseason. Like, yeah, he's got a little toe issue, and uh, <laughs> then when the when it comes time to strap it on and get going, they're ready to go. And I think JV's certainly proven that he's going to be ready for the playoffs. Now, if the MRI comes back showing something different, what are your instincts when you're in the clubhouse? And I know you can't say things on the broadcast, like, "Oh, I'm sure he's fine." Um, you get yourself yeah. in trouble there, but it, it, to me, it didn't look like it was too, I guess, serious, and it was just a precaution. Yeah, move. no, it was it was weird. We watched a couple of replays trying to figure out when it happened. You kind of see him push off, going to cover first base on a rundown, and you could see him just kind of like there was a little hitch in the giddy up, but he walked off the field in fine shape. You know, he covered it up nicely. So the fact that he walked off in decent shape kind of gives me a little bit of hope. I think all the MRI, and again, this is just speculation here on the Bleacher Blums podcast, <laughs> but uh, podcast, I think the, not as an employee. <laughs> yeah. Not with my Astro hat on, but I think this, you know, the idea is that if he gets this MRI, it's just going to, it's going to tell you what grade of a strain it is. You know, is it a grade one, grade two? How bad is it? How long is he going to have to be out? The thing that annoys me is, I mean, it, well, there's t- the t- the two things. You know, you got to nurture hope that there is hope. So obviously, the, these guys are in good good enough shape to recover quickly. But at the same time, you've got an eleven and a half game lead, so it's really not going to puncture your balloon as you're trying to go and win the West. And at the same time, these are how annoying is it to be going down the stretch, especially a guy like Jordan who's trying to put up massive numbers, go for an MVP. You've got uh, Justin Verlander going for a Cy Young, and all of a sudden you get this like. Uh, Man, 
that you know that's kind of annoying. That hurts a little bit. I can't go out there and finish my season. Is he going to be able to, you know, bounce back quick enough? I feel like these injuries are just enough to maybe put him on the injured list, but not enough to take him out of the game the rest of the season. That's what's most annoying to me because they're both pushing. I think the MVP is going to go towards Aaron Judge, even even as good as Shohei Otani is. But the dude has fifty bombs already. And he's putting up crazy numbers. He's literally the only offense the Yankees have. But I feel a little bit worse for JV just because at the age of 39, what he's about to accomplish winning a Cy Young after winning one in 2019, Tommy John, 39 years old, and put up the numbers he does. I kind of, I don't know why there's this effect on me that where I'm like, dude, I want this guy to go out there and win it because, and I think it might be, and you know, you might have something to say about it. Because he's old school. He's not yeah. this new school guy that faces the lineup two times through the order and then bails and has good numbers. He's a guy that actually is a warrior, goes out there, battles six, seven innings, facing these you know uh, lineups three, four times. I kind of want the old school guy to win a little bit. I do too. And I think nobody likes to back into the award. And by that, I mean, That's there, a good was point. A guy, there was a guy in the minor leagues, I know, that had the number of plate appearances. Um, anyway, a friend a of mine... Yeah, a friend of mine was battling uh, Frank Catalanato, who ended up coming up with the Tigers as well. But Frank Catalanato, I think, ended up losing the batting title by whatever, five points. He had 400 plate appearances, and the guy who won it had 310. But the minimum <laughs> plate appearances was like 308, something like that. So you end up winning the batting title, kind of backing into it. And I think that that's what you're... I don't know. That's certainly what you're touching in or dabbling into, which is if JV has to be out for an extended period of time, let's say he misses two or three starts and doesn't rush himself back here into the dog days of summer, he could probably win the Cy Young based on the numbers he's already put up on such a good yeah. team. Whereas like, you know, Dylan Cease and some of the other guys may end up, you know, with 50 more innings or 60 more innings and having to, as you said, having to kind of tough it out to try and win the award. And I think... JV would probably tell us that he doesn't want to win it that way either. But, you know, you're either going to go out there when you're healthy or you're not. But I, I, I do agree with you. I like the old school mentality. There aren't that many guys left like that. And there aren't that many guys that have earned that right. I mean, you know, it's funny to be a guy where the manager doesn't really take you out of the game. You kind of tell him how you feel <laughs> and True. you stay in the game or take yourself in and out of the game. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to see with the injuries, but I'm a little more concerned about Jordan because of yeah, me he's too. had a few different things that are ticky tack, and you know, and you lost Brantley, and you know, a couple other things going on. So, uh, probably a good time to take a commercial break. We'll come back and talk about the minor leagues possibly joining the Players Association. Anyway, we're here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back. Uh, thanks for a word from our sponsor here, Blue Wire Podcast Network, Blummer. Um, what we teed up and what's on tap was the Major League Baseball Players Association. And Tony Clark wrote a letter to the minor league players saying that it's it, the time has come. It's time for them to kind of bring the minor league players under the uh, umbrella of the players, uh, the Major League Players Association and um, kind of foster some goodwill, but also kind of strengthen the union. Um, I did have a guy at a cocktail party tell me this years and years ago. And I think I brought this up to you before. He said, no, baseball players make too much money to unionize. I'm like, mm, I don't think that's the definition of what a union is. I feel like the <laughs> owners are 
well on their way to making plenty of money, but the union can be stronger. And just to give you a little tee up, you know, my personal experience, and I've shared this before, but CJ Nikowski, Aaron Boone, myself, we were all Reds minor leaguers. I want to say 1994, 90, yeah, 93, 94, 94, 95, 94. I'm going to go with 94. We could probably look that up. Um, where uh, we had a scab situation. We, we had a strike during the uh, spring training. And um, there was this situation where they were asking minor league, or minor league players who were not on the 40-man roster to come over and play um, so that they could fill the stadium and so that they could you know, continue to fulfill their obligation to the fans. And many of us did not. And we had good advice and good counsel. But there was this... Uh, situation where it was a little tenuous because we weren't part of the players association and we felt like why do we and a lot of guys feel like this and you know and i think maybe you could probably shed some light on this where there's no why have loyalty to these guys who are you know getting paid and getting the benefits and getting all of the i guess strength of the union when we're not why would we be loyal to them and i use the same argument now that i would use for these guys joining the players association which is that's where you want to be. You do not want to be a career minor leaguer like David Tuttle. Like my goal all along and my expectation was that I'd play in the major leagues. Like, you know, it didn't work out, but it wasn't, it didn't, it's not like I showed up every spring training going, yeah, man, I hope I make the double A team. Oh yes, I got the triple A now. You just wanted to get called up and play in the big leagues. And so when you got to even major league camp for me, when I went to major league camp with the Diamondbacks, it was like this great accomplishment because you felt like you you were where you belonged. Now, the, the foundation for that is if that's where you want to be and that's your goal, then you know why not be part of the Players Association where now they're looking at you as a peer and you can help strengthen their leverage and they can help use their resources to you know maybe help you along. And I'll, last thing before I, I, I pass it off to you is my first paycheck 1991 Instructional League? No, the next year. 1992, uh, A-Ball, $850 a month. And that's mm -hmm. pre-tax. And I believe now it's about the same. It's like 1000 or 1050 I promise you, even if you live in Charleston, West Virginia, or Winston-Salem, <laughs> North Carolina, $850 a month. So break that in half. You're looking at $425 a paycheck before taxes. Ooh. does not go very far at all. And you're living with 10 dudes and it's just, you know, it's just not good labor, especially if your expectation is to make it, you know, nutrition wise and strength wise and ability wise on all these bus trips. It's just a rough, rough road to go. And hopefully joining the Major League Baseball Players Association gives some more credence to these guys pursuing their dream of becoming you know, a major league baseball player. So I know that's a lot. I covered a lot of, mm -hmm. of ground there, but give me your thoughts. So when Tuttle and I were playing, the idea of the minor leagues was, a, it was a vehicle to get us to where we wanted to be. You were chasing that dream of becoming a big leaguer. So I think it, for me, I, I just discounted the fact that this is how it is. You know, I didn't know any other any better. I just knew this is how the system worked, and I got in it, and I grinded, and I worked, and unfortunately, I got my break, and I got to the show. You know, and as a big leaguer, that was the idea: is you had to earn your way to get to the big leagues. That's what justified these massive multi-million dollar contracts. Uh, you know, that was the idea. But when I look back, and Tuttle can attest to this too, I look back at it, and when I was making more money in college on my scholarship than I was as a professional baseball player, even after getting a signing bonus, I was like, dude, this is insane. And I'm not sure if too many people realize this situation either is, as a, as a major league baseball player and as a minor league baseball player, you only get paid six months out of the year. So to Tuttle's point, with that $850 a month, that's only for six months. So guess what that player does in the offseason? If they have the big signing bonus, great. Maybe they can live off that a little bit. Or they go get jobs like Tuttle and I did, where you're, you're bartending, where you're shoving boxes into a back of a, a UPS big rig at 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, you had to find ways to make ends meet, and that meant getting second jobs. Now, in spring training, like Tuttle's talking about, we what what do we get? Maybe 20 bucks a day? I mean, I know that the Major League Baseball players didn't have salary for spring training, yet 
they were making about $150, $200 a day to compensate for housing, food, things like that. So you were getting something reasonable. But again, your overall salary took care of a lot of things when you were in the major leagues, not in the minor leagues. You were waiting to make that $850 a month. So guess what we did? We would show up to the ballpark. We would dress out at 9 a.m. We'd go do our calisthenics, stretching, throwing, warm-up, go through fundamentals, go through drills, be done around 11 o'clock. And then you'd go in and you, dude, I remember this vividly. I can still taste the chicken noodle soup. And you <laughs> would get chicken noodle soup with like two, you know, a couple of uh, triscuits on the side or a couple of saltines to crack and throw in there and orange. And if it was, if, if they were feeling gracious or you actually got in the front of the line, you got like a two pieces of bread and a piece of bologna between it. It was unbelievable. And that's where I look back and I'm going, damn, dude, if it could have been a little bit better, who knows who would have succeeded or who would have played better? I mean, those were terrible working conditions. And you know, you talked about Tony Clark sending out the email, and I think you had to get 30% back uh, response saying, yes, we want to unionize just to get into the logistics and and uh, legality of it. And then all of a sudden, you can petition the National Labor Relations Board of the U.S. government. And then once they say, okay, go for it, you have to send out another uh, uh, form, and you have to get 50% response. And then you can petition to become a unionized group. The crazy thing to me is, is knowing that the Major League Baseball Players Union uh, maybe holds about 1,200 to 1,500 guys as we speak, but when they absorb or when they eventually absorb the minor leagues, they're going to have maybe three times that. So logistically, they're going to have to figure that out. But I think it's a good idea because housing sucked, like Tuttle said. I remember I lived with five guys in a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, I showed up late and got the couch. That's what I, I slept on that every night, and I had to wait for everybody to crash and go to bed. Or if they came home at 2 o'clock in the morning, I was there waiting for them. You know, there was a lot of things. The housing, uh, the travel, uh, there's a lot of things that go into that that these guys need protection on instead of saying, well, you're a minor leaguer. Deal with it. You know, I, I think those days are long gone, don't you? I do. I hope so. And I think you, you brought up a really good point. And I never, I mean, I've said this before. I mean, we played during the steroid era. There's other issues there, but I never felt like the chicken noodle soup, noodle soup easy for me to say, the chicken noodle soup and the saltines were the reason I didn't make the big leagues because everybody was in that situation. But when you think about what you said, which is making more money in college and living better in college than you Trouble. did as a professional, yeah. as you did in a, as a career man. And then now having been in the uh, work world for the real world for 20 or 30 years, you realize, oh my God, companies actually take care of you. Like, they, I mean, like <laughs> you can a stay in a hotel. Like, yeah, what a concept. And I think the fact that the, so that that's not the reason I didn't make it. It's certainly not the reason you did make it is that you were able to overcome chicken noodle soup and saltines. But I do think working conditions, the NLRB, the National Labor and Relations Board, is something that should be involved when you're in a scenario like this where the working conditions are subpar. And I know it sounds kind of, it's probably hard for many listeners to grasp the fact that that's how it is because many people often will say, oh, I would trade my you know left arm to do that or I would do that uh, regardless of what kind of the conditions you were in. But as you said, making a better living and having better conditions in college than you do as a professional uh, it is not the way it should be. The other, the other little caveat, and I think why the timing is right to get back into the logistics, is that, yes, there's 1,200 to 1,500 Major League Baseball players in the association right now into the, uh, in the union. If they made that three times more, let's say there's 3,000 minor leaguers and it's now 4,200, that's not a crazy union. The, no. the other thing is they've downsized the minor leagues. Obviously, we got rid of whatever, 50 to 100 it's teams. It's another reason last... to take care of This is a great point. It's another reason right. to take care of these guys better. Right. So this is now not like the fringe guys. This isn't like we have 7,000 yeah. to 10,000 guys that are in this feeding funnel that you have to get in there. Now these are guys. Most of the guys are prospects. They're still always roster fillers. There's guys like myself that are just still trying to make their way. I mean, you have an opportunity, but it's not it's not throwing darts at a board. These are guys that have either all been drafted or vetted, and now you have about 3,000 legitimate minor leaguers. Most of them aren't going to make it, but it's still 
a smaller subset of people and a, a better, I guess, uh, group of guys that you can certainly take care of. And if you take care of them better, back to your original point, who knows who can make it, right? Many many of these guys yeah. will stick around. There's a, a a guy who just came up with the Rockies. He's nine years, 10 years in the minor leagues. Bernard is his first name. <clears throat> should look it up. I'll look it up while we chat. But anyway, they just had a guy after nine years in the minor leagues make his uh, his big league debut. And those are the kind of stories that I think you'll see more of if they unionize the workers and they give these guys a chance to hold on to something. And that's what we were saying before. Meaning when we were uh, in spring training with the Reds and they were pressuring us to play as scabs, like you cross the line, you're not part of the yeah. union anyway. Now it gives these guys that hope and that strength and that support to say, look, you are aligned with us. You know, Blummer, Tuttle, you're the same when it comes to the association and we're going to treat you guys the same and we're going to utilize our resources uh, equally across the board so that you guys all can benefit from, you know, the stance that we're taking or the uh, negotiation tactics that we're utilizing. No, and just to give everybody an idea of what players are making, I know that there was an article in The Athletic, and I believe they said at the low range, it's 4800 annually in, in rookie ball to about 15400 annually for AAA. And that is, that's below the poverty line. And that's what they're trying to compensate for. And I think Tuttle's point is great because you did eliminate a bunch of minor league teams. Now teams only have three, four teams in the minor leagues before you get to, you know, get to the big leagues as opposed to there used to be six or seven. So you start to, you start to lean out and, and, you know, remove some of these guys, like Tuttle said, we're just roster fillers. And now you've got legit prospects at every level. And every guy has a reason to play. And maybe it is an opportunity for those guys to stick around a little bit longer because the pay is good, but also you're playing harder to earn that paycheck. And that's what's crazy to me is that these guys work so hard, play so hard, you don't get the respect, you don't get the earnings. And then maybe you get the AAA and kind of fizzle out at you know two, three years there and they find somebody else to take your spot and you're all of a sudden you're gone by the wayside. I hope that there's a way to protect these guys and when they do filter through the minor league system and don't get to the big leagues, there's a way to protect them on the way out of the minor leagues. I think that's something that you and I have actually talked about quite a bit, not necessarily on this podcast, but outside the podcast, because there is a lot of concern when you're in the minor leagues and maybe 10% of your minor league system makes it to the big leagues, that's not a big number. That's a lot of guys going by the wayside. So the more protection you can give these guys and the better earnings that you can give these guys will help them, I think, if they don't make it uh, transitioning back into that workforce post-baseball career. And I think that uh, there, there should be a lot more emphasis and maybe being unionized will protect those interests um, outside of the game of baseball when they're done too. Yeah, you mentioned the 30% and the 50%. Let's hope that the minor league players and the powers that be recognize that this is a valuable thing and that they get the number of signatures necessary yeah. to get that done. The gentleman I was referring to, Winton Bernard, outfielder, nine years in the minor leagues, finally made his big league debut this year. Those are always the best stories. The other thing that you mentioned, which I was actually going to bring up, is that this is a discussion you and I have had a bunch, and it would be great to not necessarily even monetize it, but we did talk about you know, one of the reasons behind this podcast is to counsel people and kind of give them some understanding that there is life after baseball, you know, even if you still work in baseball, but, you know, we're just dads of, you know, raising our own families. But these guys, even that do make it, or guys that got large signing bonuses that don't make it, um, that don't have a college degree, are, you know, they have to find their way after the game. And the winding, er the earning window, window earning, interesting, the earning window is such a small uh, fragment of time that uh, that anybody can kind of utilize this as uh, uh, hopefully to their advantage because you know the small amount of people. I think I brought this up a couple of podcasts ago. I think uh, like seven to eleven percent, somewhere in there, of guys uh, that have made the full pension, the ten years. I think it's like ten mm -hmm. percent also. So ten percent of the guys, yeah, um, you know 
make make it out of the minor leagues and then another 10% make it to 10 years which is full pension so you're again you're talking about tip of the spear within the tip of the spear just making it to the big leagues is what you want as an accomplishment but it doesn't necessarily set you up for success in life and you might as well have uh, as much support and as, as many resources behind you as possible so I think we've exhausted that subject but I do think if uh, fans are listening to this and have some opinions or thoughts I mean hopefully they can understand that this is and just spoiled ball players and ex-professional baseball players talking about it like, hey, this is necessary because I do think it is because most of those guys that get out of professional baseball, um, you know, they do have to do other things for a living and, and, you know, as we all do. All right. So let's, let's change, let's change course then I'll ask you. So mine's a family question I'm realizing. So you have a, well, you do have one daughter off at college, so you're now an Arkansas football fan. That's another thing that we didn't touch on. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you're going to be a diehard like, hey, the Arkansas game's on. We can't record a podcast today. I got to watch the Hogs play. Um, my question is in our house. So you have five women in your house, but four daughters, one off at college. So now three. Um, I have three kids at my house. I realize like when we divide and conquer during the weekends, let's say we have to-do list and you're going there and you're there on the few occasions that you're home and certainly in the off season, I find that we end up, a lot of times we'll meet up for lunch, but we have whatever, a soccer game in the morning and a piano lesson and we're racing over here. But our family divides up the same almost every time and it's subconscious. (laughs) And I wanted to ask you, with three girls, because I have a son, with three girls, if do you find the same thing? Or is it all for one? And I know they're a little bit older now, but I find it's like my wife ends up with the same two kids and I end up with the same kid or I end up with those two kids and one. It's it's very rare that we sit down and go, okay, this is how it's going to be. I, I don't know if that's, you know, when parents say, well, I don't have favorite children. I mean, we don't have favorite. <laughs> I don't have favorite children, but I do find in our house, the math always works out the same, whether we meet up for dinner after or not. Do you find in your house that you always end up kind of, it's not gravitating, but do you always end up kind of with the same dynamic or is it different? Um, it, it fluctuates, to be honest with you. I think that our okay. kids were so, we're, we're, we try to do as much as we can with one car, but you're right. You're going to have <laughs> moments where you're all of a sudden split up where a couple went here, a couple went there. They need to be picked up. Hey, can you get me at so-and-so's house? So you're kind of forced into that dynamic of them getting into your car. But if we do split, it, you know, it, it is interesting. There is, there is a tendency for all of them to gravitate to one car. And I, th- and I like to think <laughs> that it's more because they like each other, not necessarily like my wife better than me, <laughs> yeah. or maybe the music choice, like we talked ah, about in the last that's podcast. A, I was say, that's another. <laughs> uh, or it's it your driving be. style. It could be that. Too. Yeah, seriously. So you, we'll get in the car. I think in short distances, you know, it favors my wife. I think in longer distances, it favors me because my wife is psycho on the on the road, and they maybe feel a little bit more safe. But I know that there will be times. There were times where we'd go, okay, I I got my car. I'll meet you there, and then you just assume somebody's going to, you know, back you up and get into the passenger seat and ride shotgun with you. But they'll be sitting there for about thirty seconds, going damn, I got nobody. And all of a sudden I'll get the knock on the window and it's like, Hey, mom told me to ride with you. You know? So yeah. I'm yeah. like, you know, cause my wife is feeling bad. You're like, dad's over there all alone. Doesn't anybody want to go with him? They're like, Oh yeah. Okay. You know? So they kind of play it off like that. Oh, we did. We totally forgot. But uh, <laughs> wait until you get drivers. This yeah. is the funny thing. Well, Tyler, as soon drives, as you, so. okay. So you, you start yeah. to get more drivers and you are split up. And then all of a sudden, Corey and I, they'll be like, why don't you guys take that car and we'll take this car. And all of a sudden, it's like mom and dad and then the rest of the kids are in the other car. That's that's the funny thing to me is that all of a sudden, they're like, well, we can drive your car. Nobody wants to drive my car, by the way, but they'll always drive my wife's car. They're like, oh, we'll drive your car, mom. You can go with dad. And then all of a sudden, it's like, we're right back to that static, you know, normal. We're like, hey, babe. Yeah. You know, you're driving along and there's no excitement in the car because, you know, the th- four of the girls are in the other car just, you know, blasting Bad Bunny or something crazy and yeah. having a blast. Tailgating you and like going crazy. You know, that oh, yeah. dynamic has started too. And and I guess when the kids get older, it really doesn't matter because Tyler will be somewhere either with a study group or with his girlfriend and he's somewhere else. And now it's up to him whether he decides to join us for dinner, like grace us with his presence or not. Like, <laughs> where are you guys going for dinner? Grace us, And yeah. we're like... 
uh, we're like, thinking mm. of going to Chinese food. And he's like, eh, I think I'll just have dinner over here at, you know, at her house. Yeah. So uh, you guys have fun. So then it's one car, but it's, you know, piecemeal family. So I guess it's very rare that we throw down the gauntlet. Like you have to be at dinner tonight. So the, the dynamic has certainly changed. It's just maybe with three kids. I mean, your daughters are mostly the same age. Uh, certainly your triplets are. So it's a little bit different, but man, I, I get the same thing too, where the girls are not good at covering the old, uh, like, mommy's told me I had to ride with you. And you're like, oh, great. Yeah. Hop in. I'm super happy to have you in the car. Yeah. Like, just go they back over there. I'll you. blast like, Dad, I'm, I'll ride with you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just, I appreciate you sharing family stuff. I always, that's the part that I always think is like, very often you feel like you're isolated and alone and then you'll post something about the music in your truck or you'll post something else. And I'm like, I just thought I got to ask Blum. Like I always end up with one girl in my car and the other kids all go the other way. And anyway, it just is a kind of a funny, it's comfortable, right? It's like an old shoe. It's nice because then you know what you, you know, what to expect. But anyway, that's, that's what I got for you. I know you have a question for me. So now I'm on waiting with bated breath. Yeah, this is a question for Tuttle, and it's also a question for baseball fans. And you do work in the corporate world. I don't know what the expectation is for you when you're representing the company. I would imagine it's to dress well and use your own self-judgment because you are (laughs) an attractive human who cares about your appearance when you're out in public, when you're representing a company that you're working for. And since I've started broadcasting, I have had to wear a damn suit and tie every freaking night game. And I don't, I've, I've never been a fan of it. I've never, I've never watched baseball and had the anticipation of, damn it, my broadcasters better be in a suit and freaking tie to call a baseball game. It's, I, I don't understand where that started. I, I, I know it's from the 1950s probably. When there were actually dudes wearing suits to games, but the the game has evolved. The uniforms have evolved. The the broadcasts have evolved. Why can't I evolve as a broadcaster and represent my company well enough without a suit and tie? I don't. I, we're one of the few teams, and I'm ranting right now. We are one of the few teams that is still wearing a suit and tie, and I don't. I don't get it because on average. Over a 162-game season, we are on the television screen for three minutes total. Now, we all know that games are a minimum of three hours nowadays. So I have to sit there in a suit and tie for three hours. Sometimes I'm sweating outside. Sometimes I'm not outside. Sometimes I'm in a comfortable arena like Minute Maid Park. But Tuttle, is there is is the suit and tie for the broadcaster at a baseball game? I'm not saying in studio. I'm saying the broadcaster on site at a baseball game. Is that an outdated philosophy to have them in a suit and tie? It's a great question. So you just threw the studio people under the bus, meaning you're not in their corner, so they have to wear a suit and tie. They know. Regardless. I've had yeah. I've had meetings, uh, and they know. I've, I've pushed too many buttons You're on like, that. You guys got to have it. Um, you know, it's funny. So I, 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 my dad worked for IBM for 22 years. Um, IBM was gray suit, navy suit, white shirt, and tie every day. So he basically had four suits, right? Two navy, two gray, a couple different ties, but he had to wear the white shirt. Now, obviously, we've gotten better color shirts. I mean, you have an orange sport coat. I've seen you. Like, you can mix and match now. <laughs> Of course, it's not a hundred degrees in Houston when you're sitting in the booth. No, I mean, thank I'm God. Kidding. I'm well. I'm kidding though. It's not there. It's not a hundred in the booth, but you got to wear it. So yeah. I mean, and that's that part seems a little archaic. Um, I'm going to couch my answer a little bit, meaning I don't know if it should be required, but here's the thing. I know I don't know if you remember when the NBA put the dress code in place, and they were like, "Oh, this is, you mm-hmm. know, this is." Yeah actually culturally insensitive because, you know, our culture wouldn't wear this and that. And it was like, all right, whatever. So the problem is, and I do work in the corporate world where we have meetings and they say business casual, like my business casual is like slacks and a button down shirt. So I can do a polo shirt tucked in or whatever. That's fine. But the younger people roll in in like a plain t-shirt and it's untucked and they're like, like they're pushing the envelope for something else. It's like, that's not really business casual, you know? And so they're coming up with all these definitions of like jeans appropriate, business casual. So now you can wear jeans and a shirt tucked in. So then people start mixing and matching the definitions. So it's a roundabout way to get to, if you can get people to wear the appropriate thing, 
And then then I don't know if it has to be a requirement. And I saw, I think you you said you posted, I don't know if you posted this question, but you were wearing jeans with an untucked shirt and tie, right? And then you had the coat so that at least when they got you on there for your one minute for the, per hour uh, of the broadcast, your three minutes and three hours, you were wearing the... Uh, it reminds me of Breakfast Club. You wear tights? Yep. And he goes, no, no, I wear the appropriate wrestling uniform. Yeah, tights. You wear tights? No, I don't wear tights. I wear the required uniform. Tights. Shut up. Like, <laughs> it's got, you have to wear a suit and tie? Yeah, I guess I do. I'm wearing the appropriate uniform for the broadcast of the AT&T Sportsnet crew. Yeah, you wear a suit and tie. Um, anyway, I digress. So I... I I have a problem with making requirements these days, and I do think we've certainly evolved. When my dad worked at IBM, I mean, obviously at IBM, you don't have to wear a gray suit or a navy suit anymore and just a white shirt. So we've certainly evolved. The problem is the outliers, the fringe people that would take advantage of it. Now, I think in your niche, it's a little bit different because who does the home TV games for AT&T Sportsnet? You and TK, like every night. I don't think, you know, you don't have this like group of people. You do have some fill-ins, but I don't know. Now, how about this question? When Bagwell fills in, Berkman fill oh, in, boy. do they have to wear a suit and tie when they come into the booth to fill in for games? Because I know you have them on as guests, but when they actually work for a week, let's say, do they have to wear a suit and tie? No. Ah. And I don't get it. I don't get it. Why are there why are there two different rules? Because he's in the Hall of Fame? That part doesn't make sense to me. See? Thank hey, Bagwell, you. I'm not trying to throw you under the bus, but when you get paid to do a week to fill in for Blummer, you got to wear a suit and tie, as per the AT&T Sportsnet specifications. No, I, and th- that was unprompted. Great job, by the way, because I wasn't even thinking <laughs> about that, but I know that every time Baggy's on the show, I sit there at home going, hey, man. You didn't have a tie on, you know, because all I get harped on is wear a tie, wear a tie. And you're right, though. The fact that we only show from like maybe our, you know, our chest yeah. up. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm debating on just going out there and getting like a half shirt and a half tie and a half sport coat and just wearing that. But I don't think the production staff would really appreciate that with my boiler hanging shorts. out. shorts. Shorts and vans. There and are guys just, that do that. Yeah, yeah of course. There's guys that do that. I've walked in and I've seen guys in a full suit up top wearing shorts. I mean, yeah. it's like the revert. It's like a mullet suit, you know, business up top, party on the bottom, man. And I'm like, that makes sense. And granted, it was every time we went through Arlington before they built a roof on their stadium, uh, you know, that these guys would be doing pre and post game. They'd have fans underneath the desk, shorts, and then they'd be wearing the suit up top, yeah. which is ludicrous. But uh, yeah, there's games of adjustments. And the part that drives me nuts is that, I, that day that I did that, I had to do it out of necessity because I had a doctor's appointment. I had a hair appointment. Right. I was like out right. and about, and I didn't have a chance to go home, shower completely, yeah. and put on a suit and go. So yeah. I was like, dude, I'm not carrying a whole nother wardrobe. I have no place yeah. to change at the stadium. I don't have That's a locker room. Too. That's weird. Yeah. So we, I have no access to actually go in there and actually you know, get dressed up and put on a suit right. or change from the day that I have going in there. But yeah, it's just me yeah. complaining about my first world bitching ass job. No, no, I, 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 first of all, I didn't do this. As you said, it's unprompted. If, if you're yeah. fill in folks, the Bagwells of the world, uh, I did see our producer said you have to hit a hundred home runs in the major leagues to, uh, not wear a suit. That's what he oh, says. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so there you well, go. Well, guess what? So that's what it, d- define a hundred home runs in the major leagues <laughs> oh, because regular right? season, I hit 99 <laughs> and they built the statue for the hundredth. All right. There you go. So, <laughs> well, I think I think the point was to your point about if you're in the Hall of Fame, you don't have to wear a suit or you can kind of do what you yeah. want. I often think that way of rock bands. It's like there's no smoking in here. And then if you're in a rock band, it's like, hey, give me a pack of Marlboro Reds. <laughs> I'm the drummer for the rock band and we're, we sold out this arena. I can do whatever the hell I want. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a little of that, but I do, I do appreciate you bringing it up and asking me. And also, I really hate double standards. So if everybody has to do it, all yeah. right. I can I can still get on board with it, even if that goes against what you're you know, protesting. It's like, look, if you make everybody do it, that's fine. But if Bagwell and Berkman and anybody else that fills in gets away with it, then why do I have to do it? Do you have casual yeah. Friday, casual Sunday? There are some, no. there are some special we, so, days. Day, right? day, games, day games, we get to wear a polo. 
Um, and I would actually be okay. We on Saturdays, if the game is at like between four and six o'clock, we'll actually wear a dress shirt, sport coat, no tie. And I have no problem with that. I would love to be able to do that. The tie is the thing that drives me nuts, man. I got to wear this choker the entire freaking game. It's stupid, you know, and that doesn't add to the process. And guess what happens when I hold up, when I'm on camera and I hold up my microphone, guess what the microphone covers up? You cannot see whether you're wearing a tie. Yeah. So I've got some rad sport coats that I love to wear and I'll just wear a shirt with it and it's fine. Um, And by the way, Marco, that's some bullshit (laughs) calling out my 99 home runs. I got to live with that the rest of my life. And now I'm glad that that one I hit beat you guys. Okay. So all you Astro fans, you can blame Mark for that response. And how about this? I've, we did, they just announced that we won our second Emmy. I am going to have my second Emmy. So check it out. Pat on the back for Jeff Blum. Guess what? They didn't give me the Emmy for wearing a damn tie. They might have. No. Nope. Hey, I, I'm glad. Hey, we had to. We had to give. Uh, Blummer Dude, I lost a my taste. shit right there. That's all right. That's great. We had to give <laughs> Blummer a taste of humble pie. He was getting too big for his britches, and there you see what we have to deal with behind the scenes. He's exactly. fired up. I hate you. I hate you. Um, I hate you, but I, I do, love you. All right, I have a question for you. This is what we'll end on. It's related to that. What does TK think? What did what does Julia think? And what does her attire have to um, do with the broadcast? She can do whatever she wants, of course. Yes, right. No, Julia. She always looks yeah. good, though. I mean, she doesn't push. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Is she has latitude, and she doesn't yeah. push it. She knows what looks appropriate, what doesn't. That's my point. That was what I was going to say. Women have a harder time, you know, whether they have to match they their do. shoes or they have to do this. Yep. They have a way harder time, but they also get a more latitude in terms of like, yep, this is appropriate for the broadcast. So, hey, we'll leave that to the women to do. And then the mm-hmm. men, it's like, you have to wear a coat and a tie. Can you give me TK's thoughts or is that talking out of school? Will he be upset no, if you share it? I think I think if you ask him, he would he would like to be a little more relaxed on the tie. I think we both agree that like the, the collared shirt and the sport coat is awesome. That would yeah. be that would be enough to look appropriate yeah. and be comfortable and be able to express ourselves a little bit more, you know, as far as you know what kind of sport coat or what color shirt, what you know, what pattern okay. and stuff like that, yeah. and have a little more fun with it. You know, I feel like being buttoned up really. I mean, it's a mood changer for me. As soon as I cinch that thing up, I'm like, here we are at Astros baseball. You know, it's like, <laughs> come on. Yeah, maybe it makes your voice better. Me, 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 me. I will say maybe. this. Depends. Vin Scully wore a suit every single day. No, he's no better than me. <laughs> he might be. <laughs> and speaking of better than you, we got the real Blummer to shine through here at the end of the podcast. I think uh, none of us are you better than anybody. We're all trying to, you know, hit it right down the middle and stay together and locked step. But uh, remember, fans, bleacherblums.com, uh, Twitter, Instagram, you can get at both of us at Blummer27 or myself at Real David Tuttle. We'd love to hear your thoughts on whether. Uh, yes. A coat and tie should be appropriate in the booth. Uh, what you think about the minor league players possibly joining the major league players association, depending on that. And uh, please let us know your thoughts. As always on this podcast, we like to give a shout out to the military, the first whoop, whoop. responders, fire and police, um, and everybody around the world that uh, enhances our freedom and enables us to do this podcast. We really appreciate you, teachers, your hard at work again, healthcare workers. Um, we really appreciate you guys. If you're over the age of 45, please don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. Plumber, Get after it and believe it. We're doing a podcast. Podcast, podcast, test, test, yeah. test, podcast. This is Bleacher what happens podcast. when we are all in 300 different places. <laughs> all right. But we sound good. Get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, that sounded great.